Our scripture this morning is Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 20, and we'll go through verse 30. We are in the gospel of Mark, beginning in verse 20 and going through verse 30 this morning. Mark chapter 3. Did I not say which chapter? I was just giving you all verses, right? You're going to have to figure out the chapter. We're going to play guessing games. Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. Sorry about that. Let's hear now from the word of God. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would, please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, As it is with life in general, we face many dilemmas, many different dilemmas, and we have an either-or option of which way to go. Like, do we cook at home or do we indulge in Taco Tuesdays, right? There's this divergence of thought. There's dilemmas, real struggles that we have. Uh, Sometimes we can joke about them, and sometimes they really are. But with Christ, we're presented what's known as a trilemma. Right? That means there's three options there. There's a decision of one of three ways to go with Jesus. This is the argument C.S. Lewis makes. Now, C.S. Lewis was a noted atheist in, in the United Kingdom. And then during World War II, he had radio broadcast. And, and he investigated Christianity and became a Christian himself. And his radio broadcast turned into uh, his book, Mere Christianity. And it's there that... Lewis argues that we have a trilemma with Christ. We have one of three things we can do with Jesus. He's either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. A lunatic, a liar, or Lord. Now, Peter Kreeft is a Roman Catholic, and he argues that there's a fourth option. And that would be that uh, we could also say Jesus is a legend, or, right? That he's legendary, that he's a legend. 
um, making it a tetralemma for those of you caught up with your Latin. However, I believe that C.S. Lewis and the scripture doesn't allow for legend, that it's, it eliminates that from the argument, and that we're left with the three choices, lunatic, liar, or Lord. For here's what Lewis writes in Mere Christianity. He writes this, I am trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that being Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A great moral teacher. This option is immediately thrown out the window the minute Jesus claims to be the Son of God. The minute he performs a miracle, the minute he casts out a demon, we can no longer just consider Jesus a legend or a moral teacher or a great man because there is something supernatural going on that we have to do with this. And so Lewis writes, he would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. A lunatic, a liar, or Lord. Now in the scripture, we see that Jesus has been surrounded by this bigger crowd and people are coming from all over to get healings and to have demons cast out to hear him and it's, the crowd has pushed upon him. And Jesus' own family thought that he had lost his mind. His own family. His family, it says here that they went out to seize him. His family, that includes his half-brother, James. That's right, that James. The James who wrote the epistle of James in Scripture. And his other half-brother, Jude. The other epistle, the epistle of Jude. These are Jesus' half-brothers that end up writing these, but they are part of his family, and they go out to seize him because they deemed him at that time a lunatic, a sort of megalomaniatic religious zealot of sorts that had a, a deranged delusion of his grandeur that their half-brother Jesus, while he's their older brother who cared for them, well, yes, he may have been good, but he's a bit deranged in his understanding that he is God. Now, this is the option for those who believe that Jesus was a great man, a moral teacher. He was just wrong about who he was. However, crazy is a designation throughout history given to those who follow Jesus closely. On Pentecost, it was his disciples that after the Spirit comes down and, and Peter goes out and preaches, by the thousands people come to confess Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives, that those around them called them drunk and out of their mind. When Paul, the Apostle Paul, goes before Festus, in Acts chapter 26, Festus says to Paul, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. 
And so it was with John Bunyan and John Wesley and many others throughout history have been labeled out of their mind when following Jesus. So option one, when we encounter Christ, Jesus was a bad man. That's a choice. The other option is that Jesus was a demonic liar. And here, let's, in the scripture, in verses 22 through 23, it says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out the demons. This is quite the accusation thrown at Jesus. For the man claiming to be the son of God. So let's break it down. Possessed by Beelzebul? Well, Beelzebul was lord of the evil spirits. And this attack is saying that Jesus was demonized. It's how they explain the, the powerful and miraculous acts that Jesus did in healing others. Not only was he demonized, but that's what, that's what causes him to go and make the claim that he is the son of God because it is the demon Beelzebul trying to convince others that Jesus is not the son, that, that Jesus is the son of God so that he can lead them astray from God. It's quite the claim. The other part of their accusation is that by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. And so Jesus, then, according to these scribes in this moment, is the son of Satan. Now, they, they say this because they couldn't deny the miracles Jesus was doing. They were there. They saw it. We've, we've seen that the scribes of the Pharisees have been there witnessing Jesus with the miracles and the signs and the wonders and the casting out demons. So they are not denying that something supernatural is happening. They're not denying this power, but they cannot come to accept that it is being from God. So it must be of the devil. So this would make Jesus a liar about who he was. However, here Jesus answers. He calls them to himself, and here in verse 23, it picks up. How can Satan cast out Satan, Jesus says? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus' response to being accused of being possessed by Beelzebul and by being the son of Satan, casting out demons, he says that is simply impossible. Because if Satan begins casting out Satan from others, if the kingdom of the evil spirits begins casting out other evil spirits from people, then it will not stand. And with Satan, it's then the beginning of his own demise. But he says, no one can enter a strong man's house, that being Satan, 
his house being the kingdom, the kingdom he dominates here on earth. No one can enter his house and plunder his goods. Those people who are helpless victims as he holds them in bondage through his demons. Jesus is the only one who can come and bind Satan. For the scripture tells us that Jesus, through his power, through his death and resurrection, defeated sin, death, and stands victorious over Satan. That Satan cannot overcome Jesus. So he is able to set those captives free. Lunatic, a liar, or Lord. We all have to make that decision on what we're going to do with Jesus. It's a decision most of us who are gathered here today have already made. But it's a decision still left out to many of our loved ones and friends and family that they struggle with. And then Jesus gives a warning, right? So these scribes come up to him. They accuse him of being possessed by Beelzebul. They accuse the, the demon that is possessing him to be the one casting out the other demons. They say that he has an unclean spirit. And so Jesus gives them a warning about sin. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. Before we go any further, take great comfort in that right there, what Jesus says. All sins will be forgiven the children of man. That is you. All sins will be forgiven. And whatever blasphemes they utter will be forgiven. But Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Jesus warns of this unforgivable sin. And sometimes for us as believers, we really hold on to this and we struggle with it. What is this sin exactly? Because it only occurs in this instance in Mark and Matthew and Luke that we're told of this unforgivable sin. Well, first, what it is not is it is not cursing the Holy Spirit. It is not taking the Lord's name in vain. While both of those are, yes, sins, they are not unforgivable sins. But very simply, blaspheming the Holy Spirit is the ongoing, continued rejection of the witness of the Holy Spirit to the divinity and saviorhood of Jesus. It would be the fact that as the scribes continue to make the claim that Jesus is demon-possessed and it is an unclean spirit he has, as their heart hardens and hardens to a place to where it no longer is able to change. Jesus gives this warning because these scribes were close. They were saying Jesus has that unclean spirit. And if their attitude becomes permanent, they then cross that line. And so a few times a year, brothers and sisters in Christ will come to me and ask, what about the unforgivable sin, Pastor? I feel I may have committed. 
Well, one of the one of the good assurances is that if you are afraid and fearful you have committed the unforgivable sin, is a good chance you have not yet committed the unforgivable sin. Because you know you have a worry. It's a great indicator. And as bad as what the scribes had to say, Jesus warns them. But he doesn't say they committed it. He doesn't condemn them for it. Because repentance and grace were still available to them and are still available to all of us today. Lunatic. A liar. Or Lord. Here in Mark's gospel, in this scripture, he showcased two unacceptable answers. And we even note that that his family members that once thought he was outside of his mind have an apparent change of heart. And we can tell by the reading of the scripture in James and Jude as if they'd been born again. See, it would be those determined to call Jesus a liar that would do whatever they can to lead him to the cross. Yet, what they meant for evil, God used for ultimate good. Because it is upon that cross that Jesus hangs, so hangs all of our sins, past, present, and future. And with his blood that is shed that falls onto that ground, our sins are forgiven and we are made right with God. Salvation is yours in Christ. It's because Jesus isn't a lunatic. Jesus is not a liar. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Christ, the Messiah, the Alpha, the Omega. He is the Word, and he was there at the beginning. He will be there at the very end. He is the one who wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. He is the great shepherd and the great high priest. He is the one that we trust fully. He is the one whose name we call upon in celebration and in deep sorrow. It is Jesus who we fully lean upon. It is Jesus alone who is our Savior. And so following Jesus and committing your whole life to him, well, that's actually the most spiritually sane thing you could ever do. Amen.